So the question is, what makes a person just walk away like that? Because we know and we, can, we saw that that person had, an, had a uh, genuine expression of loving God, sincere love, but it seemed like it was only on a surface level. We, we love God for what we see him do. We love God because we see him provide for us. We love God because of the way he makes us feel. But are we more like Stephanie in this skit when we are encountered with a time when God says, move this way, move away in a way that moves you out of a comfort zone, moves you out of a thing that you understand. Because when we really look at the things, when it comes down to the call of trust, he's asking us to take him out of our box of understanding and really come to the, t to the place of saying, do we trust him? When God says to, what's the word above me? When God says to move, do we trust him to move? I mean, that's what VBS is going to be all about. And so right now, what I want to do is look at a story where God called some men in a boat in a storm to trust him. And we're going to see what happens and learn from their response. So what I want you to do is I want you to open up your Bible to John chapter 6, verse 16. And you'll notice it's a familiar story. You know what it is. It's Jesus and Peter walking on the water. But in John, he just gives us the nuts and bolts. You know like when you watch a movie, what usually is on uh, before the movie is even released, what are you watching on, on YouTube and on your phones? You're watching the what? You're watching the trailer. This is kind of the same thing. John gives us the kind of the nuts and bolts of this trailer. The other, there's two other gospel writers that record this moment, Matthew and Mark. But we're going to look at John just for the trailer. And then we're going to look at and really take a deep dive into Mark and Matthew. And the hope is that you will see something profound. So here's what it says in John chapter 6, looking at verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I... Do not be afraid. And then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Okay, so that is John's trailer. But we're going to look at a, another part in Mark. And so turn to Mark chapter 6, verse 45. And what I want to do, we're going to look at some crucial details. While you're turning there, let me introduce some things to you. So Mark is the second person to write a gospel. Luke was the first, Mark is the second. Another important thing I want you guys to understand is that Mark wrote his gospel in 66 AD. Why is that important? Because every single one of Paul's letters was already written by the time Mark wrote his. As a matter of fact, the same year that Mark wrote his gospel was Paul's last letter to Timothy. Also, if you know your timeline, that's also when, P when, John, I'm sorry, when Paul 
was killed. So everything that Paul had written has already been disseminated among the churches and had been a part of this new growing understanding of the uh, early Christians, going from a Jewish mindset to a Christian mindset, to a, a Christ-centered mindset. But there's still some things that we need to understand when it comes to looking at Mark and Matthew in a way that they would have understood it. Because if, when we do that, then we see what Mark and Matthew really wanted to say to them and thus to us when we understand those things. So Mark uh, paints his gospel with a big brush. Um, he makes big, bold themes. His, uh, his Jesus, what he records, is very action-oriented. He wanted his readers to say, Jesus is a man of action. There's things that he does. There's things that he goes. There's things that, big, powerful things that happen with Mark. Mark wanted his readers to know that this action-oriented big Jesus is one that we can trust. And so if we turn to Mark chapter and look at Mark chapter 6 and look at the way Mark records the story, it starts off in verse 45. So let's read this, and I want you to notice that there's some different details in here that expound on some things, and we're going to look at three of those. Here's what Mark says, again in verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For all, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand the loaves, which happened before this moment, but their hearts were hardened. So let's take a look at what Mark has to say. There are three indicators, significant indicators, about what Mark wanted his readers, those early Jewish-minded Christian thinkers, to see. What they would have seen in, as, Mark was, as they were reading Mark's gospel, they would have seen these things immediately. We have to be taught them. So here's what's happening. The first indicator is this. It's how Mark describes the the storm the ferocity of the storm this storm was was ferocious it was like the storm was intending to kill them that's the idea but when the, the way that mark is writing this he's keying into a key idea for those early christians jewish people were very symbolic it makes them fascinating back then, and even today, they're very fascinating people. The culture is very symbolic. And one of the most potent Jewish symbols is water. Water is the container for chaos. It's where sin and death and evil are buried. Look at other moments. Think about other moments in Scripture where water is featured, and you'll see it. Creation, where the chaos was. 
when God then brought order out of the chaotic waters. The flood was where God drowned evil under the waters. The Exodus in the Red Sea. Do you see this pattern that happens? Do you see this, this symbol that's coming out? This, is, this moment that Mark is writing is not about the storm. What Mark wants the readers, you and I, to see is that these disciples were in the middle of the epitome of chaotic evil. This storm that's raging around them is intending to kill them, but this, again, is not about the storm. There's another thing I want you to look at. Mark mentions this way of that Jesus was passing by them. Now, this plagued me for years. I did not understand this until this study I was kind of forced to look at. I wanted to pass by it myself because it didn't make sense to me because of the way that I was reading this. What it sounds like is there's the disciples in this raging storm. They think they're going to die, and Jesus is going... Hope they don't see me. (laughs) Just going to walk on by. They're going to pass on by. That's not what's happening here. What Mark has done in Greek is that he has recorded the exact phrasing of another moment that those early Jewish-minded Christians would have seen immediately. And that's this. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses goes up to the top of Mount Sinai And what does he want to do at the top of Mount Sinai? He wants to see God. God says to him three times, you can't see me. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to pass by you. This connection here is called a theophany. This is when God makes himself physically present, manifests himself in a way that we can interact with him. This is a theophany that's important, one of the most important theophanies in the Jewish mindset was this right here. There's another one when, uh, there's two more actually, when uh, Abraham and Sarah, they get visited by these three strangers. Who were they? It was God. It was a theophany. They could interact with him. What about when Daniel, in Daniel, when uh, Nebuchadnezzar looked in the fiery furnace and what did he see? Not three, but four people. Theophany. God making himself physically present so that they can interact and see him. This is what Mark is recording. Not Jesus being rude. It's not about Jesus being rude. It's about Jesus being physically present in the middle of a chaotic, death-blowing storm. But this is not about the storm. It's about who God is in the middle of it. Did you hear that? In the middle of the storm, God makes himself physically present, manifests himself. And until this moment, I got this picture of this little boat that's caught between two huge waves. Can we say it this way? Was caught in the cleft of the waves and Jesus passed by not to disguise himself but to reveal his glory to the disciples this is not about the storm so the third thing I want you to see here and it's the way that Mark talks about how Jesus introduced himself 
So he says this. He says, um, don't be afraid. Take heart. It is I. Now, this isn't Jesus going, don't be scared. Don't be scared. Just, just, uh, it's me. You know, when you're walking in a dark house and your, your loved ones are in there and you don't want to scare them, so you're like, you whistle loudly or try to make yourself known so they don't get scared when they see you. This is not that. Jesus in the Greek says this. He says, take heart, and then he uses the phrase, ego and me. Now, translated into English, we have to, the translators, English translators, have to obey and follow English syntax. But what Mark is saying, is recording Jesus saying here, is take heart, I am. Do you hear that? Jesus is using a powerful name of God, Yahweh. This is not about a storm. This is about men, people, being caught in the waves of chaos, of destruction, of possible death, and God, Yahweh, making himself, manifesting himself in a way that we can interact with him, and then saying, I am, do not be afraid. This is not about a storm at all. I mean, what does this mean for us in this room? The truths that Mark is trying to get, that those early Christians, when they read this, they're going, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> right? I saw some of your faces. You're like, oh yeah, I get it now. This is what's happening. How does this relate to us? Mark wants us to actively know who Jesus is. He is God, Yahweh, Smasher of waves is present with you. Yahweh, the one who silences the winds, is present with you. Yahweh, the one whose glory invades fear and empowers the human spirit, is present with you. And if you're a Christian, is in you. What? This is not about the storm. This is about a God who is worthy to be worshipped, and we can trust this God no matter what he calls us to do, to fall back into an emptiness. We trust him because he's worthy of that trust, because we know that he loves us in a level that we can't even understand. He wants the best, and he's made himself manifest so that we can trust him. Now, I could stop right now, call invitation, and hundreds of people would come to Christ right now. <clears throat> but I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> what I want to do now is I want to take us to another gospel writer, Matthew. Because if we're looking at this, Mark paints in these bold themes, this big picture. We understand who God is. We understand who Jesus is claiming himself to be at this moment. But, Mar or, but Matthew takes us on a whole different journey because the question now is what do we do with that? Personally, I want you to think about this personally. Matthew wants us to identify with Peter. So turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to read this, and I want you to see 
another type of pattern. Matthew chapter 14. And we're going to start off at verse 27. Verse 27 says this. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, ego and me, it is I, I am, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And began to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. What Matthew here is trying to do is connect us with another picture that an old Jewish-minded Christian thinker would see immediately is this. It's called the pattern of redemption. You can see it here pretty clearly. Chaos is realized. Oh my gosh, I'm going to die. Then there's a crying out because of the chaos. And then there's a call out from the chaos. And then there's a chaos that is being conquered. You can see this with Peter. It goes like this. Peter's chaos. What's his chaos? The waves. The waves and the wind are his chaos. What's Peter's cry? Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out to the water. And what's Jesus' call? One word. Come. And then we see Jesus' Jesus' rescue. When Peter began to sink, he called out for another I'd call that another way to say, Lord, save me. I need you as a savior. And Jesus reaches in and rescues him. Again, we see this pattern. Matthew picks up on this pattern. It's all throughout the, the psyche of those old Christians. I say old Christians. They were old to me. With those, those early Christians, they, they, this was embedded in their, their culture and in their psyche, that this pattern of redemption, how God worked. You see it again in the creation account, the flood account, the crossing of the Jordan River. It's even, if you look, it's built into the baptism testimonies that even carry on today, this pattern of redemption. I want us to look closely at one. The one that is most profound for those early Jewish Christians is this. It's the Exodus chapter 14. So turn there, turn to Exodus chapter 14. And I want us to see this because Matthew wants us to personalize ourselves with this and how Peter reacts to this. So Exodus chapter 14, we're going to start off in verse 10. So we've seen the pattern according to what Peter's seeing in Matthew. Listen to this. When Pharaoh drew near, now remember, the, the, the plagues have already happened, and now they're fleeing out of Egypt, the Israelites are, and now they're caught where? They're caught on the shore of the Red Sea. Who is, who's chasing them? Pharaoh's army. Are they caught in this storm? Are they, are they caught in this chaos? Here's what happens. When the Pharaoh drew near, the people 
of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. <coughs> and Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he took, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to, what's the word above me? To move forward. Lift up your staff and stretch it out. Your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will shall go in after them. And I will get the glory over Pharaoh's army. Do you see the same pattern here? It's a pattern of redemption. First is chaos. The Israelites were caught between a large body of water and a large body of Pharaoh's army. Both of them were intent to kill them. The water and the army. They were stuck. The gap was closing fast. Chaos around them caused them great fear. The fear of death surrounded and gripped the Israelites. Fear and death surrounded and gripped the disciples and Peter. The fear of inescapable death was in the boat. It's no wonder that they thought that Jesus was a ghost because nothing could have lived in the environment that they were seeing in the storm. And then there's this cry out. Did you hear the Israelites cry out? Their cry was one of desperation. Those stuck Israelites were desperate for answers. Why, God? What's your purpose here, God? Peter's cry was a cry of desperation as well. But it's desperate for proof. Who are you, really? Prove you say who you prove you are who you say you are and this sounds bold doesn't it this sounds bold for peter to say this but this boldness i think is masked fear i don't know what to do with this and then jesus's response was the same as god's response and it's from the his response was the only only the only person that could have responded in this way of come is Yahweh God. The only one who could respond to the Israelites' cry to move is Yahweh God. Only Yahweh can issue the call to come. Only Yahweh can issue the same call to move. When Peter heard this call, there was only one response. Come. Peter didn't weigh the pros and the cons. He didn't wait for consensus. He didn't wait for others in the boat. Peter didn't wait for Jesus to reassure him. Go on, you can do it. Peter just jumped out of the boat and went. The same was true for the Israelites. The move, the call to move, and they moved. There was a call out. The call out was 
from Yahweh God. Jesus said, come. God said, move. Then the rescue happened to Peter and happened to Israelites. The waves kept crashing into Peter. I can imagine he started getting beaten around by the waves as he was trying to walk on the water. The waves became more powerful for Peter than Jesus' call to move, to come. Peter heard the chaos instead of the one who brings order from chaos, and he began to sink. And suddenly he needed a rescuer. He reached down, grabbed Peter, and immediately took him up into the boat. The same thing we see for the Israelites. They moved through the parted sea, but the soldiers kept coming and closing in on them. And the Israelites, for the Israelites, the roar of the Pharaoh's army was louder than the roar of God's call to move. God brought the Red Sea back together over Pharaoh's military and put the Israelites on the eastern side of the sea in rescue. Matthew wants us to connect to Peter, that his experience is also our experience. Think about this. It's not about the storm. Think about what's going on in your life. And I want to say to you the same thing that Matthew and Mark want you to know. It is not about the storm. What is going on in your life is not about what's going on. There's something more that's going on. It's about the call and response in the middle of that storm to come, to move. Because we can relate to Peter, we, we become confident that we can love and worship God for who he is. And because of God's presence with us and in us, we can respond to the call to come, to be where he is. And because of God's presence with us and in us, we can now respond even to the call to move. He is going, he is going always, and now he is calling us to be where he is, and in every moment, he is also our savior, our rescuer. This is who God is. This is the idea that Matthew wants us to get across, because what is happening in our lives it's about what God is going to do in the middle of whatever storm is going on around you. And you don't have to, to cower in fear in a boat. You don't have to question. You can because you know that Yahweh God is with you, ever present with you. He is the one who silences the chaos. He is the one who smashes it down. He's the one who brings order and calm from it. And he is the one who calls you out of it. You can respond to that. There's no more fear. No more fear. Only a response to be where Jesus is calling you to be. And now, we can close and ask you, what is it that God is calling to you? Every one of us has some kind of storm that's really significant or are going through one now, have been, been through, through many. What is happening right now? Is God calling you to trust him? Is he calling you to 
to fall back. So as we begin this time with invitation, what I, the invitation to you is this. As we sing, it, it's, it's really a time for us to kind of think about what God is doing to, with you and through you in your hearts. And we have sanctified a couple of minutes in your busy work week and said this part of the week is just for you to respond however God leads you. Some of you may have heard the call towards being uh, his child for the first time, what I call the grace embrace for the first time. You're, and you want to respond to that, you can do that. Some of you may be feeling like, you know what, I've been, I've been wanting a church home, a family of faith, and this is it. This is the time for you to come. We want you to respond however God is leading you. You can trust him. You can fall back. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the way that you love us. We thank you for how you are able to empower our spirits to, in, to, to, to embolden us to do the things that you've asked us to do. And Father, right now in this moment, however you're calling, however you're leading, however you're stirring our hearts, give us the same kind of courage you gave Peter to respond, the same kind of courage you gave to the Israelites to move. Right now is the time for us to say, we trust you. We trust you, Jesus. And I'm going to fall back.